What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Core Consult RX podcast. Cole is actually out of town and not with me today. So you guys are going to have to listen to just me on uh, this end, but because I know you don't want to listen to just my voice. Um, I have two very special guests with me today that are calling in um, from quite a distance away, actually. Um, I have Dr. Sandy Deek, that is a clinical assistant professor at the Texas A&M College of Pharmacy, as well as a practicing ambulatory care pharmacist out there. And I have this soon-to-be Dr. Kyle Fisher, um, who is a fourth-year student wrapping things up and. What about a week, Kyle? How much longer do you got till graduation? Uh, I think graduation is about three, four weeks away, but I'm officially done with appy rotation. So I'm just kind of coasting until graduation. Coasting? I don't want to hear. I don't believe it, Kyle. Not for one second. <laughs> Sandy, thanks for so much for joining us. Um, it's good to, I know we met the other day briefly, but Sandy and I just met. So Sandy, thank you so much for taking the time to come out here and talk with us a little bit. Mike, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. So uh, Kyle actually approached me originally about um, and told me, uh, I guess he was on rotation with you, maybe the time or just finished rotation, but was telling me that you have a, a passion for kind of developing a sense of empathy towards one students, if you're like in a teaching a professor role and, and kind of figuring out the best way to meet the student where they're at and, and you know, educate them properly and all that, but also from a, from a patient perspective as well. And how do we kind of come up with those feelings of, uh, of empathy and truly give our patients the best overall care that we can, whether it's you're a student on rotation or a practicing pharmacist. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Like, how did you kind of get interested in that? Has it just been something you've always been passionate about? Give us a little insight. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Where do I even start? I, you asked me that question when we kind of just were first met and I was like, you know what? I can't, and I don't have really an exciting story or anything like that. I can't really even pinpoint when I really first got into something like this. I think I've always been interested and fascinated with human nature, with human behavior, human suffering. I think it's always something that I was fascinated about. And so I remember growing up, going into like back then at the bookstore, there's a very, very small section of like self-help, self-improvement books, like way back then. I mean, now it's just getting ridiculous. It's super big. And there are like three rows worth of books about it. But I think I've always said like knowing if I were to reflect back on my life, I probably would have been a sociologist or a psychologist. But as a first-generation college student, like, I didn't even know that was a path. And so I think selfishly, because these are things that I'm interested in, and like most humans, when you like to do something and you enjoy doing it, you try to do more of it in your life. And so as I progress through my career, I'm just starting to find places where I can put some of those things into practice. And so I'm not an expert in this stuff. It's just something that I'm interested in and that I do. And I'm fortunate to be able to do things that I'm passionate about in the work that I do here. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, I think uh, you have a pretty fantastic profession to be able to practice some of those qualities, yeah. um, dealing with patients and whatnot, because it is something that's 
kind of intuitively, I guess, instilled or somewhat instilled upon people or, or supposed to be instilled upon healthcare workers doesn't always uh, happen. Um, but it's a huge quality that, that applies to pretty much anyone in healthcare. And, and because obviously a psychologist or a counselor or something like that needs those qualities. But when you're dealing with people that are sick and at, obviously not in a position where they're having a great time a lot in a lot of cases, um, it very much helps to kind of have that sense of, you know, behavior and, and, and empathy and feelings of like compassion towards those people. We talk a lot about, you know, I mean, all of that stuff kind of goes into what we call, and you probably hear a lot of this, like soft skills, non-technical skills. I mean, the empathy and compassion component kind of falls into that umbrella, or as some people call it like non-academic skills. In education, we're calling it social and emotional learning now, right? It's becoming more of a thing, probably not so much in higher education, but it's, it strikes me every time how much of our relationships in, with other humans depend on these skills. But we find that we don't really do a good job at teaching those things, in, especially in higher education, even in professional schools. Do, do you feel like it's something that like, can be sort of fostered and educated, like taught basically? Or do you think that's something that really, it's almost like you need to have like the self want to, to be better at it so that you can kind of like self analyze and see where you're, where you have whole, cause some people are very naturally like nurturing people and, and, yeah. and take like enjoy taking care of um, other people. Just kind of, that's just the way they were. They've always been like that way. And other people it's maybe they're more introverted and feel awkward around other people. And so they don't want to, they, they may, it's not even that they don't want to take care of people. It's just that they just feel weird, like interacting with certain people. So do you think that that whole, this whole concept of um, sort of getting to know your patient better and meeting them where they're at and all that stuff, is that a teachable thing or does it take the student really like wanting to kind of embrace it? Yeah, that's such a great question. I think that's a question that we have in education a lot of times too, is like, is this something that's teachable? I believe, right, this is my belief, is that it's a skill. And if it's a skill, it could be taught. We just haven't figured out yet how to go about doing it. I think over the years, especially with a lot of the works that are currently happening, we've kind of started having more of these conversations, more of like a systematic approach on how to teach these things. Because for a really long time, we didn't even have vocabulary or words for those. Do you think... That's something that can be taught? Yeah, um, I definitely do. I think it can be, I think it's kind of goes both ways. I do think that, I think it can be taught, but I also think that if you're not willing to let go of, you know, your own mm -hmm. ego potentially or your own like self-interest, um, whatever the case may be, that I think it may be very difficult to actually like utilize that teaching. Um, so I do think it kind of takes both parties involved, but um I definitely think that you can give people insight and and sort of put them on the right track to at least maybe start that kind of self-realization and, and sort of self-awareness path, if you will. Yeah, we actually, I mean, we've been talking just a little bit since the start of this podcast about empathy and compassion, but we haven't really like defined what those things are because even the definition is so variable. So I would ask you guys, like, how do you, when you think of the word empathy, like, how do you define empathy? Kyle, you want to go first? <laughs> um, while, while I pull up my dictionary. 
<laughs> yeah, no problem. And it's just, it's kind of like how I define empathy is kind of like putting yourself in someone else's shoes and trying to feel whatever emotion there may be feeling, whether it's happiness, sadness, pain, or just trying to put yourself in their shoes, gain their perspective, so you can kind of share whatever emotion that the other person may be going through. Yeah, I completely agree with that. So basically, like Kyle said, putting them, putting yourself in their position, or there are cases where, you know, like, like I talked to a patient that, um, this week who is going through, you know, they have um, non-alcoholic fatty liver disease, basically have advanced um you know, cirrhosis and not a candidate for a liver transplant and just very, very depressed, a bunch of other comorbidities going on at the same time. And, you know, and I, and when I'm speaking to her, I, I almost caught my, and I, and I caught myself luckily, but I almost said, you know, I, I understand, you know, what you're saying, like where you're coming from. I forget what I was about to say, but I stopped myself because, and I said, I can't imagine what that feels like. Cause I don't, I've never been in that situation. And, and so I, one, I think that's, part of it too, is not, even if you can't put yourself in their position, um, recognizing that this is another human being and that they are obviously in pain and doing what you can do to support them and help. And regardless of any other, you know, context of that, like understanding that this is a, a, a person that you, you may be the only person that could help them in that particular situation and to kind of take full advantage of that, which I know is not a definition, but that's what, uh, yeah, that that's was, what I'm going with. <laughs> that was beautiful. That was beautiful. I think what both of you have said is that the putting yourself in the other person's shoes, and that's what we typically hear, but empathy, the way that I see it defined is just to feel with somebody, to understand their emotions and connecting them w- with them on an emotional level. So what you just said just now, Mike, about I can't imagine what that feels like because I don't have fatty liver disease. But you grasped onto she must or this patient must have been in pain. Mm-hmm. I think we can all say that we've been in pain before we know what that feels like. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so when we feel those emotions, we can connect at the level of that. And so when we talk about empathy, the walking in the patient's shoes, I think can be challenging to use to define empathy because it means that you have to be walking in those shoes before. When in reality, I think you can connect with them just through the emotional level. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's April. So we got a whole new group of, uh, for the pharmacy listeners out there and especially the students, we got a whole new group of students that are about to go on rotation. So how, how do you kind of, if you're talking to a P3 and you're going to offer advice on kind of how to sort of cultivate this, this mindset, because I feel, especially from a student perspective, they're nervous, they're focused on, you know, they, oh, I don't know anything. I'm about to go on rotation. You know, I don't want to look dumb in front of these clinical pharmacists or physicians or whoever, you know, they got all this going on. They also are thinking about, I got to look awesome on this rotation so I can get a residency. So my life's not over and all these other crazy thoughts that go through people's heads. So how do you get them to sort of balance that self-preservation and, 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 you know, in career and all that with also recognizing that you're about to be, yes, you're a student, but you're also about to be in direct care of real people, not just A, B, C, D on a test anymore. Uh, that's a million dollar question. And it's so 
complex. It's so complex because they all are coming at us as preceptors in, they have different lives and they're coming in with different experiences. So when you ask about like advice, it's, it's gonna have to be dependent on who's walking through the door. Cause I don't think there's a blanket, you know, advice that I think I can give. And by the end, any of us can give really. And then by taking on this advice, you're gonna be successful. I think I would ask, hmm, what type of student are you guys, or even for you, Mike, back then when you were a P3 going to the P4, what type of student were you? Ooh. And for Kyle, what type of student were you when you were going through your rotations? How would you describe yourself as students? You know, my real answer? Yeah. <laughs> Not a good <laughs> only one. The real, no. Only the real ones. No. So I, um, me personally, I, I was from a, probably an academic standpoint, um, probably was a poor student to be completely honest. Um, I despise sitting in a classroom. I, I'm a very much a, a kinetic learner. I do not do well sitting. I mean, I'd be more focused on why they decided to paint that wall, that color, um, instead of paying attention to what I'm supposed to be paying attention to. Plus I, I were like, I basically worked full time, um, my third year. And so I was, we, we had remote learning, so we didn't necessarily have to be in class. And so I basically watched my classes on like two times speed at night and would work during the day. So I was definitely not a good student from an academic standpoint, or at least the way you're traditionally supposed to be a, a student. Um, which sounds weird nowadays, especially sitting in like that. I teach in the classroom and stuff like that. So, um, that being said, when I was going on rotation, for me, I realized that, okay, I, like, I was very self-aware of the fact that I wasn't, like, on paper a good student. But I looked at it as, okay, this is my opportunity to, like, finally, like, prove myself and, like, kind of show what I can do. And so I'm going to take every single possible opportunity advantage of this time that I possibly can. And I just went all in a hundred percent dedicated, completely like blinders on and just straight focused on my rotations. And, and looking back, you know, I'm, I definitely from, from a career standpoint, think I made the right move. Um, I, I will say that I have gotten significantly better about implementing the whole idea of empathy and, and, and patient care and stuff alongside that whole, cause I still have the same mindset of, I want to be absolutely the best that I possibly can, but I've also, now seen like what an impact you can have on somebody else's life. And so that for me has been like, a, I've also implemented that part a lot more. So um, not that I wasn't caring. I didn't care about people before, but it just becomes a lot more of a conscientious thing to me that I'm like, these are people that I'm, I'm taking care of somebody's mother or somebody's father. You know, this is uh, a completely, you know, very special opportunity that I have that, I need to do my absolute best because not just because I want to be a great pharmacist for myself, but because I need to make sure that I'm giving this person care. And if, if somebody didn't do their skip steps or whatever on my mom, like we'd have a major problem. So how am I going to do that with somebody else's mother or father or, you know, or, or daughter or son or whatever. And so that's where I've, I feel like I've grown in that area. Um, I think it was more so just kind of on the back end of my mind when I was actually a student. Yeah, you felt like now you have the responsibility to hold, right? That you mm -hmm. are caring for these people and that you have a bigger and larger responsibility than when you probably had as a student because you felt like there was still like a net 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Kyle, what type of student are you? Um, I mean, thinking back to like, I mean, I just went through rotations and back starting my first rotation in May 2020, so like June 2020. I mean, not I was scared, but like scared for, I guess, making, not being able to answer, answer a question, scared that I wasn't good enough, or it's kind of that stuff. I was, I was, I'd say I was an average student from a didactic standpoint, and coming in, I felt pretty comfortable, comfortable and confident with my clinical knowledge, but I'm very kind of like type A perfectionist, like I need to have everything go my way, or like, not my way, but like everything, I need to get all the answers correct to show that like, I am residency material or X, Y, and Z, like whatever expectations I, myself, Kyle, made up in my head. And I think one of the like early lessons early on, like especially on my first rotation is that like, I'm no matter how much I study, I'm a fourth year student, I'm not gonna know everything. And I think both of you guys can, can attest to that even now that there's no way we will know every answer to every question. There's just so much uh, depth out there in medicine. and I think early on, it's just like, there's going to be good days and bad days. And it's kind of just embrace the uncertainty because it's like when it's those struggling times, it's like, I found that I've grown the most. And I know a lot of my like co-happy students and friends, like during those struggling times, during those hard times, when you really give it to y'all, you're going to grow your most and you're going to see uh, what kind of student you are. And I think kind of that was like one of the most eye-opening experience, especially since starting off on my first rotation was neurocritical care, which is a pretty challenging rotation from my point of view. So, I mean, yeah, I think it's just kind of, for those going in, it's just embrace the uncertainty and just have fun with it. You're going to have good and bad days and just remember that choose how to respond and everything's going to work out for you guys. I was just like you, Mike. I was a student that never went to class. What, Sam? I'm actually shocked by that, to be totally honest with you. Sorry to my professors who may be listening. Um, I was actually the A, B, and C student, believe it or not. I had all three of those those grades before. I didn't feel smart. I didn't feel smart probably because I never went to class, right? If I were to compare myself with other classmates, I felt like I was average, if not below average, right? And so there was this, when I transitioned from going from the classroom into rotations, I was terrified. I was terrified, right? But that's just naturally me, right? I played everything safe. And because I was so scared, I played everything safe, right? And so I lived very small. I lived very small. And so when I went on rotations, it was like, what are people going to think of me? I'm not going to be smart. They're going to tell me that I don't know enough. They're going to say, my biggest fear was they said that you're not going to be a good pharmacist. Like that was for some reason, the story that I made up, right? And so all of those things that we think about to keep us small, that was me. And so when you asked earlier, if, what would you, what advice would you give, right? If I were to give advice to myself, right, back then, I would tell myself that I was enough, like I am enough. I would tell myself that you belong here because I didn't feel like I fit in. I would also tell myself that you can be scared, little Sandy, but you can also be brave. 
right? And so for the students who feel like those things are them, those are the things and the advice that I would give. So for the type A perfectionist might for Kyle, right? Those were the advice that he would give to those individuals. And so for Mike, what would you give to students who you feel like are like you? So, uh, and, and, I, and I have, to be honest with you. So, um, when, so, so I was actually told to my face that I wasn't going to be a good pharmacist by people that oh, I respected. So, so I, I've, I've felt that for, for sure, except I think the difference is, and, and, and I'm, I'm very fortunate in this um, and feel very lucky that I have this kind of mentality, but I, I sort of laughed that off when someone told me that because I was like, you don't know me. And I just kind of, oh, whatever, I don't care what you say. And that was, that was been, that's my kind of my personality but now looking back I realized too that if that if I hadn't had that personality that could have like destroyed me um and so you know we can go on that down that rabbit hole as a you know what had a precept and stuff like that later on if you want but what I would tell myself is that like and I would say and actually I'll, I'll give you some of the advice that um one of my yeah, mentors actually told me um, that I, he's a guy that I still work with and, and I'm friends with now. But um, he, he basically like brought me, he took, called me to his office one day and um, he told me like, cause I was, you know, not doing well in class and all this stuff like that. But he had worked with me like, I like through volunteer stuff at clinics and whatnot. And he, he basically said, look, I, I do think you're going to be a great pharmacist. And I think you think completely outside the box and I think it's going to do well. He goes, but you got to play by the rules just, he goes, just get your farm day. He's like, please just get your farm day. He's like, shut your mouth, get your farm day. And then, then you can do whatever you want. Then you can talk trash and you can do whatever. He's like, just please get your farm day and then stop. And then they just stop being a rebel and just listen to the rules for five seconds. And I was like, huh, all right, I guess I could do that. And then once I got on rotations, it was, it was easy. Cause that is like my, my zone, if you will. Um, but yeah, I would just tell them like, look, I get where you're coming from because I've, I've met some students that are exactly like me as far as like kind of like the rebellious attitude of like, oh, you tell me I, you, I have to do this, 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 and this to be successful. I'm going to do the complete opposite just to see what happens. And and I would meet, I'd meet with those students now. I'm like, look, I completely get what you're coming from. However, in my now that I've had some years to mature, I realize that that's not always the answer either. I, I still to this day question a lot of stuff with the establishment and things like that and, and do question the way even my own self does things. I'm like, why do I do things this way? And do I, is there a better way? And should I change and blah, blah, blah. Um, and I, I tell them, keep thinking that way. However, they're, they're, you need to incorporate the professionalism and also realize that sometimes you just have to do what you need to do. Like sometimes you, just because you think something's stupid doesn't mean you can't do it. Um, or just because something at the surface level seems stupid. Like for instance, I used to, I was associated with zero um, like organizations. I thought that was the biggest waste of time ever. I'm like, I'm not joining an organization. I used to kind of almost like scoff at it. Now I'm like, I, I, probably should have joined some organizations just for the heck of it, just to kind of get some know some other people. And, you know, it's not like it would have hurt anything. And so that's where I would give myself advice is be like, Hey, calm down a little bit. And, um, maybe just be more open-minded to like, just because some of the cookie cutter style things that people say are that are that. And, you know, do you tell it to every student doesn't mean they're always bad or not going to be helpful because a lot of them do work. And so to kind of be more open-minded, to the A-type personality as opposed to just trying to create my own path for every single thing. 
Yeah, there's always some lessons to be learned in every experience that you go into. Right, that's what I tell my students all the time too, is no matter what happens when you go in, there's always something to be gained from it. New information about the experience, new information about yourself, right? There's always something to be learned mm -hmm. and it's staying curious. Like asking the why, and you were like, why do we do certain things this way? Why do we, why can't we do it this way? I think it's pretty powerful right? To be staying curious about everything and anything. Why are patients the way that they are? Why am I the way that I am? Why does this bother me? Why do we have to do certain things this way? I think that's another advice that I would give to everyone is ask and stay curious. Ask why and stay curious. Because you learn a lot. You learn a lot about other people. You learn a lot about yourself. Mm. Well, and I think that's the hard part is knowing about yourself because we all can see flaws in other people and we can see where other people need improvements. It's really hard to see that in yourself. And I think that comes back to the the empathy, you know, idea of empathy towards patients and stuff as well Is you can know everything about from a textbook standpoint about pharmacotherapy or evidence-based medicine or whatever. But if you get in front of a patient and that's all they are to you is stuff in a textbook, it, it's it's, you're not going to have the same impact as someone who maybe have not even has been a good student, may not be as knowledgeable or as intelligent or whatever as you, but they're very, they, they do have that sense of empathy and like compassion towards that patient and that sense of like personality that they can kind of get to know that patient on a personal level to, they're going to be way more impactful. Um, and so I think it can be hard sometimes, especially for those who have been successful and done super well their whole lives. It can be really hard to like reassess kind of like, is this the best way to do things from, you know, that I do do things this way? Is that the best way of doing it? Or am, do I come across a certain way to, to a patient or like, for, I know for me, like I had to learn to smile more because so in those of you listening, I've probably heard me say this at some point or another, but like I used to be a professional MMA fighter and that's how I made my money, like in pharmacy school. And so I, I just, and not even intentionally, but you just kind of, you get this intensity, like about even just the way I, I just look straight ahead. And when I'm thinking, like if I'm thinking about something, I, and I'm looking, I don't blink and I look like I, I'm, I want to fight you for some reason. That's how, and my wife literally will tell me like, Hey, you're doing the, your mean mug and stop. And, and I don't even realize I'm doing it. And, and it's, and I'm not like a hyper aggressive person. I mean, I can get along with anybody. And, uh, and it's something that I had to literally, I forced myself still to this day. I, I catch myself doing it. Like, I know I'm looking too intensely right now, straight ahead. And people around me think I'm angry and I'm not. And so I have had to like change my face <laughs> so that I don't have like this, uh, like constant, like anger look to me, you know, cause I'm like, I've, I was losing the opportunity to like, you know, talk to people and network because they were like, didn't want to come talk to me because they thought I was a jerk or something. Um, or, and I realized that, you know, there's probably times I'm doing this with patients. I'm listening intently to what they're telling me. And instead I'm staring at them. Like, I, you know, like I want to fight because I have a tendency to like put my eyes down and kind of stare straight ahead. And the patients were like, well, who is the psychopath in a white coat talking to me? And so I had to literally like realize that, okay, yes, that was my, you know, sport, my identity from back then. However, that does not apply right now. And I need to, realize that that's can be intimidating to people not even just intimidating but just like off-putting and so yeah. I literally had to like focus on changing that and so I think that's mm -hmm. a big you know that self-awareness and being able to realize 
you know, because at first my thought was, oh, well, who cares if, you know, people think that's, they, they, you know, I don't care what they think. But then you realize, like, well, you should care what they think in that case, especially, you know, it's like, especially from a patient perspective. It's one thing maybe if, from colleagues and stuff, but who you don't, you should care what they think in that particular regard. And so I've had to kind of reanalyze, you know, that about myself for sure, amongst plenty of other things. Yeah, I have two points with what you just said. The first one is I totally get the face thing because sometimes when I draw my eyebrows, it's just way too arched and then it just looks like I'm angry all the time, right? So for me, it's a little bit easier because I just have to draw it a little bit more straight and less arched and that kind of fixes the framing of my face. The second point, what you just said is I always tell patients that I have the easiest job, right? I just tell you what you have to do. And it's your job is the hardest as the patient because you actually have to take what I say and go home and do it. And sometimes we forget as clinicians, as a pharmacist, as prescribers and providers, what it actually means when we tell the patients to go home and do those things that we tell them to. And that takes perspective. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about cultivating empathy and compassion, one of those things to cultivate empathy and compassion is to take perspective of what does it actually mean for the other person? Yeah, absolutely. Kyle, any thoughts on that at all? I don't, I don't mean to keep leaving you out of this conversation, buddy. No, you're good. Um, no, but just how you and Dr. Deke have said, I mean, I had Dr. Deke on rotation. I, I think it was my second rotation back in July and August of 2020. And kind of one of those, one of the first things that were like, one of the more heavy-weighted sentences she said that kind of stuck with me like early on and I've carried throughout my appy c- career and what I'm planning to do uh, in the future is saying like, how can you have compassion for others when you don't have compassion for yourself? And that struck a chord with me because it, going like I just said a, a couple of minutes ago is that I'm very kind of like perfectionist. I want, I'm very hard on myself and like I want to meet X, Y, and Z deadlines, or I want to do X, Y, Z things. And it's kind of like having that self-awareness and taking that time to reflect and have compassion for your own self. So you can actually start the process and cultivating compassion and empathy for your patients, for your friends, for your colleagues, or whoever it may be. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Self-compassion. It's a hard, that's a big one. That's a big one and hard one for some people. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that, that if, How do you be patient with other people if you are impatient with yourself? How do you give grace to other people if you do not give grace to yourself? And I think from a student perspective, I think from a human perspective too, right? We can talk about it from even bigger than that, is that we, when we don't give ourselves the self-compassion, it is very, very difficult for us to give it to other people. So obviously confidence is, is a huge, you know, value trait, valuable trait that people can kind of go into like things like rotation or residency or their careers in general with, um, how, how, Cindy, from your perspective, how, um, if you have a student coming in that is, that is very self-conscious or has no confidence or very introverted, um, how 
what kind of advice do you give them as far as speaking to patients or, and it's even more intimidating can be other healthcare professionals or like the attending who has been a surgeon for 30 years. Um, and you're rounding now he asks you a question. Um, and what kind of advice do you have for the students that have that kind of personality? Yeah. So me personality, like me, who I'm an introvert, like 98%, depending on what tests I'm taking. Um, what would I tell myself? I would say I, I need structure, especially for, cause when we are afraid or we lose the confidence, it's because we don't feel stable, right? We don't feel stable in the space that we're in. We don't feel safe in the space that we're in. And so as a preceptor, it would be helpful to create that space for our students so that they can feel a little bit more comfortable, right? But that's not always something that the student can control. So if, how do we create that space for ourselves as students, for us to be? And so I think asking yourself, what is it that you need for you to be more comfortable? Because if I think about like, I've seen some students do some weird stuff on like high stakes exams, right? Because they get so nervous and Mm -hmm. they pump themselves up because they're so nervous that it's hard for them to be compassionate, but it's not because they aren't. It's because they don't know how to while also trying to like get it right. So I would have students who would respond to a patient that says, my family member just passed away. And then you would have students that's like, cool. So what medications are you taking? Right. And so it's not, it's not because they're not compassionate. They're just right. It's just that Yes, they're so nervous that that's cool is just the normal filler word that they would use when they're when they're scared or nervous. That's a rough, that's a rough one though. <laughs> In that particular position, oh my gosh, that's one of those that you think about for 30 years later you're like, "Cool? What was I talking about? Oh my gosh." Yeah, or can you imagine getting like feedback from your your professor, right, that says don't use cool? when you're talking to a patient, right? But it's because they're just nervous. I would say it's the same for myself even now as like an adult and a pharmacist for six, seven years. Is that for, I work, I used to work in an anticoagulation clinic and every so often we would have to have a pharmacist come in and observe us do INR finger sticks. And I can do finger sticks probably with my eyes closed, but I don't do that with my eyes closed so many times. But every single time when a pharmacist observes me, it takes me like three times. It takes me three times to get the blood in the well. It's because when somebody's observing you or I'm getting nervous, it's hard to behave. So what's the trick? It's like you have to keep putting yourself in those situations. You have to keep putting yourself in those situations. It goes back to being brave. Having to put yourself in those situations, uncomfortable space, so that you can get comfortable in there. And then until you become comfortable, that's when you can start hmm, actually using the skills that you have and be more free. Cause you feel so restricted when you're, when you're kind of in, in nervous mode, when you don't feel confident, you feel very small. And so you don't feel like you're going to go job, you mess up. And then you just keep telling the story. Yeah, I, I think I like what you said too about the uh, being comfortable, like feeling uncomfortable, being being comfortable with feeling uncomfortable. 
Um, I I think that is, in my personal opinion, I think that is one of the greatest like qualities that in like ways of improving in, in like self improvement that you can that you can do. Like being comfortable in an uncomfortable situation is, I mean, vital. I feel like because so many people avoid uncomfortable situations or tasks or whatever because i mean nobody wants to feel like that but if you can if you can kind of push yourself through that uncomfortable situation and realize that you know you're not made out of glass and you're gonna you're not gonna break you're gonna get through it and you're gonna do fine and it all works out then or, or even if it doesn't work out but you'll still you know you still made it through and now you learn something and you realize it's not the end of the world yeah. if you do mess up i think that that almost like builds that confidence and snow start to, starts to kind of snowball from from there um into where this you know the confidence grows and grows and grows because the more you realize it's like okay i can do this then it just kind of takes off and goes you know up exponentially at least in my experience um i, I know sandy you were saying you were very introverted on you know play testing standards and things like that but um you know, and I would say now, especially I'm extremely extroverted. Like I'm, I'm, I love meeting new people and talking. I mean, obviously with the social media and stuff like that, I talk to new people all the time and I wasn't always like that though, especially when it comes to like public speaking, like live, I used to be, I mean, I remember be, having to give like a talk in like history class, like a junior in high school and literally feeling like I was going to vomit. I was so nervous. Like I hated talking in front of people, like despise. And these are all people like that I know. And so I still feel that now, do you even really, really after teaching <laughs> yeah. and stuff, do you still feel it? Yeah. Yeah. Every single time I get up on there, I feel, I feel like I'm sick to my stomach every single time it gets a little bit less, Okay, but uh, I would say that that feeling doesn't go away. I don't know how, I don't think I can ever make it go away because I think that's, that's just, it just gets less and less. And I learned to kind of, but it has gotten less though, it. right? Like if you were to yeah. look at now versus <laughs> six years ago, I was gonna say, Sandy, you're destroying my point. This is going off the rails. <laughs> yes, and it's gotten less. I definitely do not throw up when I'm about to go up and teach a class. <laughs> that's good. That's good um, for all your students that'll hear this. That's going to be a good thing. Now, um, and and I guess there's definitely situations where, depending on the audience and stuff, I, I still feel that a little bit too. I, I think it also helps for me because I've also, you know, been had my face beaten in in front of thousands of people before. So after that, it's like after, during this talk, like pfft, no one's going to attack me physically. So how hard could this be? So I think that I have a little bit of a crutch because of that, you know, that's definitely helped me. But my, my point of that was that I, even if it doesn't come naturally, cause it didn't for me, um, I basically forced myself to like, when started an undergrad and I would like volunteer for like giving a, a talk to the class or whatever. And then when I got to pharmacy school, especially, and then my fourth year, I really focused on it hardcore. Um, cause I, and I never had any intentions of wanting to teach or anything. I just knew I didn't want to be nervous to, if I had to talk in front of anybody. So I literally volunteered for every single topic discussion, journal club thing, whatever I could do. Like I volunteered for it because, and, and at the second it came out of my mouth, I was like, I'll do it. And then I'm like, Oh, you idiot. Why did you do that? And I said, I didn't want to, I didn't want to, but now like looking back, I'm really glad that I did that. Cause now I, I really don't have any fear of talking in front of people and, and all, and you know, again, I mean, just maybe occasionally depending on the audience and stuff, but it's, it's gotten so, I mean, much better than it ever used to be, um, that it literally took practice. And I kind of built that confidence as I went to where now I don't really think about it as much, but I, I definitely, 
you know, you know, built that as, as I went on. Deliberate practice, right? Mm-hmm. Knowing what you're good at and not knowing what you're good at. That's the self-awareness part. And then now knowing the things that you're not good at, how do we practice that deliberately? Knowing that I'm, a, I don't do well with public speaking, putting yourself out there and doing it. And then asking yourself, what's the worst that can happen? right? Just like what you just said, nobody's going to beat me in the face anymore. What is there to be afraid of? Right? So what is the worst thing that could possibly happen? Right? By putting yourself out there. And I think that makes you a little bit braver each and every time you get braver each and every time you engage in those experiences. Yeah. It's getting your foot in and doing it. That's the hard part. But once you're in it, you learn something from it every time. Yeah. So I, you know, I would say if, to a student that's struggling with that, I would just say, take baby steps like this, the small, I don't care if it's the smallest teensy weensy step that you can possibly take. Try that. Like try something that makes you feel just a tiny bit uncomfortable. You don't have to, if you're scared to talk in front of a, you know, a people or, you know, a crowd of people and or public speaker, whatever, you don't have to go talk at a conference in front of a thousand people. That's not a good way to start. Um, yeah. but if you don't could, go on to a podcast with 20,000 people listening to you, oh, you'll be fine as your first one. <laughs> See, I told you it's so easy, right? We've only been going for like, I don't know, like 45 minutes or something. Um, <laughs> So, Make it easy. so I would say pick something small and just, and just try that and just build on that. Cause that little bit of confidence you'll get from completing that. It just builds and builds and builds. Um, I, I, this, I have a, uh, a small like sign on my desk at work that's kind of hidden cause I don't want people to think I'm crazy, but, um, <laughs> that, uh, it's, it literally says, um, comfort is a slow death. Choose discomfort. Um, that I kind of is a reminder to myself too, because I still to this day, think about that. Like, okay, you know, I'm very confident in pharmacotherapy. I'm going to go try to deal with something else that's completely out of my wheelhouse because I want to feel like a beginner again and feel that uncomfortability because then I realize, okay, I can get through this too, just like I used to and keep going. I I think that's super important regardless of where you're at in your career, but especially if you're really struggling with that type of thing and and struggling with confidence and all that, I think those little baby steps are super, super important. And setting goals, right? Like setting an intention. When we say like deliberate practice, you have to deliberately practice. You can't just go in there. I mean, you could, and you'll learn something from it. But when you actually think about what is it that you want to work on for this one thing, this small thing, I just want to not say um 15 times when I'm about to speak, right? That's that's setting a goal and setting an intention. And you find out that you actually get better faster when you do that. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would, and, and also too, cause we had talked about like maybe the, if a preceptor, you know, doesn't treat you with respect or, or makes you feel stupid or whatever the case may be. Um, I, I would say, and it's not always the case cause some preceptors do it out of with the best of intentions, just it comes off as the wrong way. So I've seen preceptors who genuinely care about the students come off as like jerks almost because they're trying to like sort of motivate, which like for someone like me, I actually, I like that. I like those kind of preceptors because when some of them are like, they're like, oh, you'll never be able to do this. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm going to do nothing else in my entire life until I prove you wrong. Like that's, that's me, my personality. And I like, for example, like my wife, polar opposite. If, if you told her that she'd be like, well, I guess I'll quit now. And then, and just, and she just doesn't like, 
especially when it comes to this type of stuff. Um, you know, she's just not, she doesn't respond well to that. She's like, why is this person being so mean to me as opposed to, you know, like they're supposed to be helping me. They're treating me like a jerk. Um, and so I think that if I will say, if you, if you experience that, um, know that it can be one of two things. One, it can be, that's, you know, how they, they, think that everyone responds well to that. And so they're not doing it intentionally to be hurtful. Um, and so that's one thing. The other option is, and which a lot of times is very much the case, that person might have a lot of poison in, in their life and they're just, you're just an easy target to kind of get some of that out. Um, and I've seen a lot of times where people respond to certain ways or, you know, even towards me and in a very negative way. And I'm like, my first response is like, yo, why are you talking to me like this? Like, what the heck, man? Like, what, you know, whatever. And reality, then when I stop and think, I'm like, okay, why is it, what, what, what's going on in their life that would make them want to talk to somebody that they don't know that well like that? Cause I don't have that desire to talk to somebody like that. So maybe they're insecure. Maybe, maybe, you said something that they weren't aware of, and now the preceptor's feeling insecure. Insecure. That, that very. That I guarantee, at some point in the history of pharmacy, that's happened. And so, you know, it, who knows, like what's going on in their mind? I mean, you know, they could have something going on in their life or at home or a, an illness you don't know. But who knows? And um, so, to take that as like a, like take it to heart personally and let that like wound you, is just is is never the right mindset. Like try to put things in perspective and keep kind of like you were saying, Cindy, like keep your world small as far as, okay, this is one person's opinion that they're, and I clearly don't like this opinion. So should I let this like define me forever? Um, and let this like bring me down or do I know that I'm not the person that, that, that that other individual is telling me I am and just to kind of push through that. And which is a very difficult thing, but it's very possible to, to work on that and, and keep getting better at it. I call it, I use the acronym Q-tip, quit taking it personally. Yeah, there you go. That's cool. I like that. See, Cindy's yeah. much more um, <laughs> able to articulate things better than me. I just kind of ramble on about points, and then she's like, oh, I got a perfect acronym for that. Like, you have oh. great stories. You have great <laughs> stories. Q-tip, quit taking it personally, right? Yeah. We bring all of our imperfections into that space, right? We are, as preceptors, we don't have it all together. We're just also as human as you are as students. Right. You bring your imperfections into the space. We do the same thing. And sometimes it just doesn't clash well. It doesn't work out well. But know that it's it's not about you. Mm-hmm. Right. It makes it seem like it, but we're taking it personally. It's not about you. And I think it makes it a little bit easier for you to move on. Right. And yeah. that's exactly what you did, Mike, in that story, which was he just had a bad day. Right. Which is we call it the hypothesis of generosity, (laughs) which is like, what is the, what can you say or think that is possible to give them the most generous thing that you can think of, of why the person is behaving the way that they're behaving. Yeah. And it gives you a little bit of a different perspective, perhaps. Again, it gives you a, then that allows you to have more, what you just displayed was the compassion for that person, right? We could all say that guy's is a jerk. Right. But if we say maybe he had a bad day, what you just did was giving compassion. You were compassionate towards that individual. There's a there's a scene in that movie called um, Limitless with Bradley Cooper. Do you you guys seen that? I've seen it, but it's been a long time. So there's a scene in that movie. I just watched the other day. That's why I thought about this. But there's a scene like in the beginning when he first takes that limitless pill that like opens his mind up to whatever um, makes him a genius um, where his like landlord's wife or something is like just 
she asked for the rent money. He's like, I'll get it to you next week. And she starts just going off on him and like screaming at him. And then he realized as she's talking, like that's when the pill kicks in. And like the first thing out of his mouth, he goes, what's wrong? And she goes, what? And he's like, he's like, okay, you, you don't like me. You see a self-defeating, you know, I don't know the whole line, but he just goes through the thing and says, you see all this stuff. He goes, but my existence shouldn't make you this anger. What's going on? What's wrong? And like, what? And like, she's like totally thrown off because, and he's right because she's, she is dealing with something else and that he's just the target. But I just love that response where he's like, what's wrong? And, and as middle of her screaming at him, I just thought that was hilarious because if that a lot of times is the case, I mean, it's very rare to have someone just see you and just automatically go, I need to be mean to this person. Yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not, a, yeah. you're not too many people that are walking around like that. True, true, true. It's funny that you, we went straight to that, that particular scene. Cause I don't remember that at all, but that was the one that you remembered. I, I have this amazing quality to remember a bunch of useless information that has nothing to do with anything, specifically uh, movie quotes. So, uh, it's my top quality that my wife likes about me. Um, she, she goes, I don't, she'll go, I don't know that scene. I have no idea. She goes, you know, I don't know that scene. So if you quote it, I'm not going to think it's funny. <laughs> I think you brought up such a good point, though, where when, when Bradley Cooper said, what's wrong, it's a kind of like pauses. Mm-hmm. Right. When we we're not being aggressive, when there's aggression coming towards us, we we stop. And by saying, like, what's wrong or are you okay?" Like it stops it and it allows you to have a conversation. And then we can then start to build this relationship, because if if we approach it back with anger and aggression, we're not getting anywhere. We're not really doing anything beneficial. It's not productive anymore. Yeah. So we'll have a lot of times patients who are irate, right? Who are angry. We'll probably have seen a handful of those patients. But again, it's like, it's not about you. It's not about you. And there's probably also something that's going on in their life. And if you just ask what's wrong, it kind of stops it a little bit for them to kind of recollect themselves. Cause I'm sure they don't want to be like that either. I don't think we always want to come across as being aggressive and angry naturally as humans. Right not the space that we want to be in all the time. It's actually kind of heavy mm-hmm. and uncomfortable. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like I, I like you said patients too, because that's the thing we always kind of forget is when they're, especially in a clinic set, setting where, you know, they're, or I guess even in a dispensing pharmacy setting like that, you know, they're, they're coming to you and, you know, they either just left the doctor's office, so they had to sit and wait, and who knows, maybe got bad news, or you know, sat in traffic after that, and then get, you know. So from I, from a dispensing pharmacist, a dispensing pharmacist point of view, I'm sure they deal with a lot of people who are having a horrible day as well. But like in a clinic situation, like most of the patients sitting in there, like when I'm in a room with a patient, most of them don't want to be there. Um, and in fact, I'll I'll usually kind of say that as a joke sometimes when I'm asking about a follow-up um i'll say you know i'd like you to come back in four weeks if you can make that work with your schedule even i'm like i'm gonna put you down for four weeks um but then i'll joke and i'll be like listen i know you just cannot wait to get back here and see me because you're gonna miss me so much however and like i'll give you a whole four weeks and then i'll just kind of like you know chuckle and roll their eyes or whatever and you know kind of address that elephant in the room but i'll um I think that realizing that yeah the, the patient doesn't want to be there um and and realizing that okay you need to cut start at that baseline of like, I need to show them that I am here to help so that at least, you know, mm-hmm. they're, they're not directing that anger of just, you know, the uncomfortable situation and not wanting to be there towards me. At least they see that, okay, maybe I'm at least trying to 
to help and like get them so they don't have to come see me as much anymore and, and all that. And I think that oh, that's an important like kind of mindset to be in because it's super easy to be like, yo, why are you being a jerk to me? I didn't do anything to you. I don't even know you. Um, and I yeah. think especially, in, and I'll say even for my own personality, that's, that was my personality when I was younger. Like when someone was automatically like a jerk to me, like even a patient, um, you know, not necessarily, I would obviously didn't have the same interactions when I wasn't a pharmacist, but you know, if, if I was a technician, like in the pharmacy and someone was super, you know, mean to me one time, you know, I remember this, I remember being like, just so just like, who the heck is this? Why is she talking like this? What a jerk. But, and then I looked at her med list and I realized she was, you know, getting something for, you know, some kind of a chemotherapy agent. And I'm like, okay, how, like, would I be as jolly and carefree if I was dealing with cancer right now? Probably not. Um, and so I think keeping that mindset of one, not, not letting it get you flustered or angry in the first place, but then also realizing, okay, maybe this is an opportunity for me to flip the script on him and turn the situation around and, and be that, you know, person that is kind of puts them in a better mindset because then for, from then on out, you're going to be like their favorite person ever. Um, I saw that just recently with a patient at my clinic where she literally told me to my face, you know, you're, you're doing nothing because her blood pressure wasn't under control after me making like one switch and she came back and it still was out of control. I'm like, it was like over 200 systolic when I first started. It's not going to be fixed overnight. Like, you know, and they literally, she was mad at me saying, like, you don't care. You know, this is life threatening stuff and you just don't even care about me. You just don't care if I die. I was like, that's a bit of a leap, but let's talk about it. Yeah. And, and you know, and, and I took my time and I didn't one, she's, as she's sitting here yelling at my face, I just let her yell and took it. And I said, and I was like, ma'am, I, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And I tried to explain like, what we're doing. I explained like the why behind my thought process with the medications and stuff and let her, you know, in. and I kept asking her like, what do you think about that? And like making her feel like she's a part of it. And then like two days later, I called her at home um, and, and talked to her in between like patients where I called her just to see how she was doing. And after like the third time of me doing that, she was like, you know, you, you have spent more time talking to me than anyone ever has. And like now, um, you know, I have a really good relationship with her at this point um, because, you know, I didn't have that initial response of, of anger back. And I think that makes a huge difference. Yeah. I thank my patients for coming. Yeah, absolutely. Because I think that that takes that you could just not show up, mm-hmm. right? Like you could just choose not to show up, but you showed up. And so I think that tells me that you are, ex- you are hoping you can gain something from seeing me today. And so I always thank my patient for showing up. And I do the exact same thing that you do, Mike, as I always joke about it, where I'm like, I know I love seeing you and coming in to visit, but I know you don't want to see me as often as, as I want to see you. Yeah. That's the joke that I always make with That's my patients one. I like too. that. So what, I know we've talked a lot about, obviously, attitude and, and empathy towards patients and stuff, but one of the big questions we keep, I keep gotten asked a few times over Instagram recently is, um, what other things can we do to get the most, like from a student perspective, to get the most out of rotation? Um, so I know that's kind of a broad question, but Sandy, what do you think? We should probably start with Kyle. Yeah, that's a good call. Kyle, let's get you back in this combo <laughs> ASAP. You just went through the process. Yeah, we just start with Kyle. What do you What do you think? What's some you're telling? You're giving the advice to the brand new P4s. What are you going to tell them? Honestly, I mean, kind of some of the stuff that you guys had already mentioned about it's like one of the biggest things. Like keep an open mind. Um, 
always ask why. Keep that curiosity going because you're going to find yourselves learning so much more when you have that open mind and curiosity. Like, for example, I, I'm a, all my friends that know me know I'm like gung-ho cardiology critical care guy. So when I didn't get my cardiology elective that I wanted to for my appies, I was kind of bummed that I had to get an infectious disease elective. But you know what, going into it, I was just like, okay, like ID is kind of not like my area of interest at the moment. Like I wish I would rather be doing cardio, but going in, like I just kept an open mind. It's like, okay, let's, I know I'm not that strong in ID, but like, let's put all my eggs in. Let's, let's give it a hundred percent. Let's see what, what happens. And it turned out to be one of the most rewarding, one of the most challenging, one of the most, I guess, fun rotations I've had just because I mean, just ID is, it's, it's pretty a, a unique specialty, right? And if I didn't have that like open mindset or that curiosity just to keep asking why, and also just to accept like beforehand that there is going to be struggle and there is going to be times where I'm going to fail, even though I am a very kind of like perfectionist, I don't, I want to be right. Like I don't, I want to impress my preceptors and whatnot, but just having that, in like the back of your head that like you're in rotations, you don't know everything, keep an open mind, you're here to learn. If I knew everything, I wouldn't be here. So like keep that open mind and like know that there's gonna be struggles, there's gonna be failures, but it's gonna be okay. And going in with that kind of mindset, I think at least for me personally, and kind of like telling this to like some of the third years and second years at my college of pharmacy, as they transition to kind of their rotations, I think it's kind of one of the most helpful advices that I could give is just keep an open mind, acknowledge that there is going to be struggles and failures and you're going to, it's going to, it's going to be a fun, it's going to be stressful, but you're going to learn a lot. And no matter if you're a medical student, PA student, pharmacy student, going on rotation, starting your residency, I mean, take this time just to soak it all in. Like it's going to, it's an awesome ride and uh, I can't wait for you guys to start it. Yeah. I, I like what you say, Kyle, about, you know, kind of asking why in that sense too. Um, I know for me personally, when I started kind of asking why to pretty much every like aspect of pharmacotherapy, pharmacology, that's one when I really started to get more and more interested just in various subjects, but also also kind of identify where I had holes in my game as well. And still to this day, I do the same thing. So like if I'm thinking about, you know, like diabetes management and I'm thinking, let's say, you know, I start with the American Diabetes Association guidelines, start going through those. You know, I feel like a lot of times when I'm taught, when I have fourth year students in rotation, they can quote some of the stuff from the guidelines. They can tell me, oh, they use this and then use this or, you know, it's okay. Start with metformin for type two diabetes. Cool. Why? Why do we start with metformin? How does that work? Why do we need to do this? Is there reasons why we wouldn't do this? Is there, you know, complications that can occur and just, constantly keep asking yourself, you know, where, you know, the, the one, the guidelines come from, why is this the way that this drug works? Um, you know, uh, how else can this be applied to, you know, whatever else I'm dealing with? And I think you start to go down these like little rabbit holes of like, um, just information to where I remember one time I was thinking about ibuprofen 
And I remember thinking something along the lines of like, you know, it can cause an ulcer in the stomach. And then I went on this like ridiculous rabbit trail one time looking at like every possible way that prostaglandins affect like gastro mucosal lining protection and stuff. And I remember being like, like in 30 minutes and being like, what the heck am I doing? Um, but like, it was good. Like it, you realize like, I don't even know any of this stuff. And then uh, you start getting more into that. And, you know, I'm. I remember one time I got into uh, why do we tell people's aerobic and resistance exercise for diabetes? Like, how does resistance help your insulin sensitivity or, you know, what? And then I start, I found these, like, all these articles on, like, physiology and I was started reading through them and I'm, and I'm like, holy crap, like, there's so much more to this from a cellular level. And I got, it got me interested in certain things. Like Plus, I never had to once, like, think about what are the guidelines, do they recommend aerobic or resistance or both or what? Because I, you know, I, like, you get that deeper understanding. There's no more memorization. It's just kind of like you understand it and it makes sense. So it completely solidifies the memorization. So if you can constantly ask yourself why, I think that is key. And that's, that goes for anybody, not just students. But you know, I'd say that to any healthcare professional is is try to ask yourself why things are the way they are, and why do the guidelines say this? Why do the why are we studying this, or why are we using this drug? And I think that would that 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 really really broadens your knowledge base. Yeah, curiosity is very important for learning. Curiosity is super important for learning. So I'm not going to use that one because that's already been said multiple times here already. For me, I think rotations is such a great place for you to learn about yourself. And so when you, I think it's just going in there and self-reflection is hard, right? Because it requires some intentionality. And so when I think about what are the advices that I would give, I think it's setting intentions setting intention for every single day. So I do that with my students. Every single day they come on rotation. I'm like, what are your intentions for today? What do you want to do? What do you want to be true for today? And then we have a brief discussion about how to go. So setting goals for the day, setting an intention for how you want to show up for the day helps you with the motivation, helps you a little bit more, be more confident, depending on whatever that is. So setting intention for the day, every day, you'll find that you learn a lot more about yourself and a lot more about what you're actually capable of doing. Stay curious, be brave, be patient, be gentle with yourself. All the above. All those things. All those things. Um, one other thing I'll add too is... And, and this kind of goes back to the advice I give myself because I and I, I did this to an extent, but I probably would have gone even harder in this regard. Um, but one of the big things that I'm I'm a big advocate for now is is obviously keeping up with information and changes to the evidence when it comes to therapeutic changes and all you know all that stuff. So it's extremely difficult to to kind of keep up with you know various. You know, evidence-based medicine topics and whatnot. And so one of the things I tell students is you're, you're going to be already just swamped with stuff that you're learning and you're going to be constantly, you know, bombarded with all this new information that you don't know. However, I would take 10 minutes every single day and you and pick something that interests you that has nothing to do with what you're learning on rotation, or at least isn't something that's required to learn for rotation and look at it yourself. And so like with my students, one. my first day on rotation, I give them like seven 
links that of like free websites that they can use that send them information um, like so like evidence alerts where any and you can pick the topics that you want and you basically it's in any new data or new uh, studies and whatever they come out it'll send you those um, topics to your email you can do it either nightly or weekly or whatever um, and and I do that with you know Medscape and I do that with several others drugs.com for for new you know drug approvals um, whatever the case may be I give them like seven of them I think and tell them I want you to subscribe to this you know just for the rotation if you hate it and you don't want it like do whatever you want with them after just unsubscribe but for the rotation do that and I want you to start looking through this stuff as as you go and get in the habit of like educating yourself on the new updates and the new changes and the first response out of a lot of people is well i'll just i'll do that when i when i graduate when i'm not already having to learn all this other stuff and that sounds great on paper however when you finish school and you're you're done and and you know maybe you're you're making some money and you don't have anybody telling you okay you have to study this now or you have to do this now um it gets very easy to flip on netflix instead of watching uh, or instead of reading something about a new clinical trial that's going on super easy and and i'm not saying you know you should have a life outside of medicine you definitely should um but if you can get in the habit of just 10 minutes a day 10 minutes is nothing so for people who say i don't have time for that i'm like you're out of your mind um 10 minutes is nothing like sleep 10 minutes less if you have to and uh and just go through like something that doesn't have to do with rotation get yourself in the habit now because when you get out it'll already be solidified as a habit and you won't even think about it you'll just keep doing it and at that point you'll have all this extra time so you maybe turn into 30 minutes or an hour or whatever in the the students that have seen that will implement that advice like during rotation are exponentially more um inclined to continue it after at least in my own you know with my own anecdotal evidence and my own experience um are uh, much more inclined to continue that path outside of school um when they're done versus the ones that don't do that and um I've had some of them tell me themselves like, oh, you know, I've just gotten out of the habit of doing it. So it's just been really hard to get back started. And others that are like, yeah, I just kind of got into a habit of it during school. And now I don't really think about it. I just, you know, check the new studies that are out. And, you know, I, I just I think that's something I'm, I'm really big on because I think that that is a there's such crazy variations in, you know, provider levels or, or you know, clinical pharmacy levels and, and how much care they're able to provide their patient based on how much work they put in on keeping up with information. That's a great one, Mike. Yeah. I mean, especially what I'm hearing building a habit, right? Mm-hmm. And for you, you're building 10 minutes a day, building that habit that especially when you're in, I would say that the training environment is fairly structured, right? And mm-hmm. so this is the perfect time for you to start building a new habit, whatever that may be. And so not just even doing, you know, 10 minutes a day, looking at new information or things that you enjoy, but even thinking about building a habit that is going to be beneficial for you, whatever you decide that is going to be, especially when you're in such a a structured training environment would be the best time to do that. Yes. Realizing if you're a healthcare professional, you are a student for the rest of your life. You're always learning. It doesn't or least, end. Or at least you should be. If you're not, then that's yeah, a problem. Yeah, it doesn't end. It doesn't end. Resource information is so vast. It's just growing every day. You can't catch up. I, I had a, I gave a talk one time about like keeping up with information, like tips and tricks and stuff like that. And um, I took a, I had a pic, I had a slide up that was just, you know, starting the presentation. And I was saying that 
you know, the, our parents' generation, you know, and they wanted to keep up with information. And I said, they had to go and get it from a certain place. And I said, now I actually found, it took me a while to find this picture on the internet because it's really hard to find one. I said, and I put, put up a picture of a library. And I was like, this is a place where people used to have to go and like look <laughs> stuff up in this crazy catalog and like try to find a book um, or an article or whatever. And then like they had to learn it there or take pictures of it or copy it down like a savage and then go back to their house and then like relearn it. And I said, uh, like, you have a supercomputer in your pocket now with an iPhone or whatever you use. And I'm like, and I hear students like, it's so hard to keep up with stuff. I'm like, our parents' generation <laughs> yeah. pharmacists would fight you for saying that. Like, I've, I, I couldn't tell you where my nearest library is. Um, it's because it's all right in my house. Like, I have every access to every bit of information on the planet here. And I'm like, and, I, we're, and we're complaining? Are you kidding me? <laughs> I firmly believe that one of the greatest skill to cultivate is the skill of being resourceful. Mm -hmm. And I would say that is, I think the skill that is needed for current survival of the world to come (laughs) is resourcefulness. Absolutely. I feel like we're talking about, we went from the pharmacy all of a sudden like the apocalyptic type uh, <laughs> mindset. How San- did we get here? Sandy, are you a prepper? I'm going to come, I'm going to come stay with you when the world ends. No, I just, because I'm worst case scenario. So I come on you. by. I no. just, I'm afraid of scarcity. So I just hoard things. Right on. You'll be safe here. Cool. Come on by. I like it. I dig it. So um, I know we've been going for a little bit now, but um, anything else like that we want to kind of pass on? Um to students or advice or anything like that? I don't know. We talked a lot already about advice. What more can we give? And I think information is not transformation, right? So we can say all of these things and you could listen to this podcast and go on with it and say, now I'm going to be a better student because I've done it. Like I've listened to it, but it's different between listening and actually putting some of these things into practice. Mm-hmm. And it requires reflection and feedback on your part as a, as a learner to say, did I, did I do that today? Did I be, was I brave? Was I curious? Right. It requires that component as well in order for you to actually learn and grow. You're going to need that feedback. And if that's not given to you, you're going to have to create that for yourself. And I would say too, for the one for those of you who already have that kind of instilled like that confidence and like they already feel, you know, the, the thought of like feeling brave or anything like that, it just kind of comes intuitively to them. I would say, okay, cool. Take that, you know, alpha attitude you have. And did you, after your rotation day, did you do every single thing in your power to do the absolute best you could? Or if you had that performance and then you were going to go, you know, in a competition against yourself, could you beat yourself? And if you could, that's a major issue. Like you should, I mean, you're going to leave it all on the table and like just absolutely give it your all and, and do the top notch performance you could possibly give. Or you just kind of like, mm, I can get through this because, you know, I'm getting through it. That's all it was asked of me. And, you know, I think that is a oh, major a difference because I think, again, like talking different personalities, you do have some that can just kind of mm, whatever and you just kind of coast by without thinking about it. Yeah. yeah. Like then those people need to step up to the next level, which is, you know, I'm going to absolutely do this to my best of my ability, no matter what. Yeah. It's not, it's not a destination that you're trying to get to. Like once you get there, you're not, it's not like I've done it. I'm good. I'm just going to stay right here. There's a lot more. It's a journey. Absolutely. The journey is more to come. 
the good thing is it never ends either. That's my favorite part about medicine is <laughs> like, you're it. like, oh, I've been trying so hard for years. And you're like, oh, shoot, I'm in the driveway still of this journey. <laughs> it doesn't end. Welcome. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I guess uh, we'll wrap that up. But we'll probably end up doing another one of these. I feel like uh, this was fun. Uh, I'd be happy. Awesome. Thank you for inviting me. No, of course. I Thanks appreciate for it. Taking the I time. think, yeah. I know it's Friday thank night. Thank you for being brave. And uh, yeah, no problem. I try. Uh, <laughs> thank you. Uh, you know, this is Friday night. So for the, for those of you uh, listening, we we did this late on a Friday night. So both Kyle and Cindy both took uh, time out of their busy schedules to do this. Is pretty awesome. Um, so, uh, also if you haven't checked out Kyle's, uh, Instagram and Facebook or, or, um, Twitter rather, I don't know if you use Kyle, you use Facebook at all? No, not really. It's just okay. more of the Twitter and Instagram. Okay. Twitter and Instagram. If you haven't checked out his stuff, his infographics, they're fire. So make sure you get on that and check those out. He does a great job with them. Um, and it's been cool to kind of see those, you know, sort of getting, put out there into the uh, Twitter sphere um, throughout his fourth year. And I know I've seen his following uh, on social media start to go up and up. So that's great. Um, so definitely make sure you check out that. Kyle, what's your uh, handle on those, on the platforms? So for my Twitter, it's K Fisher underscore 10. And then for my Instagram, it's K G Fisher X. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> And the, they let me do the K Fisher 10 on that on the Instagram. So I had to had a had G improvise. I like it. <laughs> yeah. I like it. Um, and then it's Fisher F I S C H E R. That is correct. Mm-hmm. Kyle wants to get fancy and spell his name with an extra uh, letter in it. It's got to be different. You it's know? got to be, yeah, you got to be the center of attention. <laughs> Typical Kyle. Here we go. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, so and I'll put your, I'll link your stuff in the show notes as well. Um, and then, uh, Maybe we can get uh, Dr. Sandy Deke to include her email. I won't put her on the spot in yes or no, but if you have questions for her, um, I'll either have her email in the show notes if she wants, or you can email me directly and I'll be the, the middleman. I'm happy to do that as well. Um, so thank you guys so much for coming and uh, taking the time to do this. Thank you. Um, thank you guys at home for listening. I really appreciate um, you guys taking the time to check out the episode. Um, if you have any questions for me or for Cole, um, our emails obviously will be in the show notes. You can also reach us on any of the social media platforms. Um, if you know you want to reach us directly through text message, you can text 415-943-6116. Um, also, thank you guys so much for, the, for those of you who have subscribed to Patreon. I hope you're enjoying the lectures and the slide sets and all that good stuff. And um, yeah, thank you so much for listening and uh, thank you for the support. Y'all have a great one.